Uh, recently, uh, as one or two of you may have noticed, I'm getting just a little bit older. And uh, I've started reading uh, books the last uh, two or three years and books that old guys, or at least some old guys, read. Uh, one of the best sellers for men 50 <clears throat> to 65 is a book called Younger Next Year, uh, Living Like You're 50 Till You're 80 and Beyond. Uh, it's turned out to be uh, one of the apparently most interesting books on the subject in print um, about eating healthy, uh, exercising, and maturing well through different phases of life, uh, so much so they produced one now or published one for women. Um, but besides covering uh, nutrition and exercise uh, information and discussing some of the most contemporary research on that, the book discusses the research on how people age well. And the research tells us that one of the four uh, most important factors in our physical and emotional health through phases of life and even living longer <clears throat> is the stability and health of our relationships, particularly our, our close relationships. turns out that human beings, you and me, are hardwired uh, to be pack animals. Uh, we simply cannot and do not function uh, well, apart from caring, supportive relationships in groups of one kind or the other. The last several weeks, we've been thinking through uh, the series together on church. Uh, why bother? Uh, we've been studying the biblical teaching about the need that God's people have uh, for being vitally involved in a group of uh, Christ followers. And the recent research on aging, it just confirms our need for patterns um, that uh, God has instructed us to follow for a very, very long time. And some of these instructions are very clear, very straightforward in Scripture. So I want to think through with you just briefly and relatively quickly a couple of passages that focus our attention on uh, this idea. As we study the Bible, we discover that his people... A gathering in small groups uh, has been central to his purpose for at least 2,500 years. Uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, uh, you know that about 600 years before uh, Jesus, uh, Israel was conquered by the ancestors of the modern Iranians. Uh, they took once they achieved their military objective, they took the great majority of the Israelites into exile a thousand miles to the east. And the result was that the, the, uh, this huge uh, bunch of Israelis were scattered out over this vast area, the Middle East. Uh, but in order to preserve their relationships and their faith, they began meeting in small groups. Uh, those that were pocketed or located in one region or the other, some of the major cities and so on, wherever it was that they eventually landed after the exile, uh, most eventually uh, moved back to Israel over the succeeding 500 years, but then they continued to meet in these groups uh, together back in Israel. 
and with the New Testament, we see that they call these groups that had continued synagogues. And then as the Israelites migrated out of Israel across the Mediterranean world uh, in later time, they took this pattern of meeting in small groups uh, with them. And so, of course, now today there are Jewish synagogues all over the world. There's even one in Beijing. When Jesus was between 30 and 33 years old, uh, he began his public teaching ministry uh, and uh, his influence his teaching had a dramatic effect on the future of the nation. Uh, Not long after his death, big things, as we know, started happening. And the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 2, tells us that 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, Jewish people from all over the Mediterranean had returned to uh, Jerusalem on that particular week, 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, in order to celebrate uh, the annual festival of Pentecost. There were three annual festivals that the Israelis celebrated uh, every year, and they would many, a great mass of people would, at least certainly from Israel proper, but often from other countries, would go back to Jerusalem to celebrate these festivals and maintain their faith. And um, what we read, we read some a very interesting um, passage in Acts chapter 2. Uh, because on one of the days of the festival, as many of you know, uh, there was this huge crowd that had gathered for Pentecost that was in the temple square. And the apostle uh, Peter stood up in some prominent place in front of this huge crowd and he began teaching about Jesus and 3,000 Jewish people who had returned to the city that day believed. His teaching was so compelling, uh, it was so inspiring that God opened their hearts and they received uh, Jesus and the teaching that he had provided us about himself. And uh, a profound spiritual awakening started happening in Jerusalem and then subsequently throughout Uh, Israel, uh, if we study the history of the Christian church, we discover that certain times, uh, very evident, uh, there's spiritual awakenings that take place in specific locations. Uh, It's very, it's not usual, it's not God's normative way of doing things, but periodically, in one location or another, there's just this dramatic uh, spiritual energy that happens for reasons that we don't fully understand and why God does something in one location at one time and he doesn't in somewhere else at another. But many people will turn to Christ and they have an, uh, an energy and a passion uh, and awareness of God that can sometimes literally change a country. Uh, the Wesleyan revival was central in changing the culture of England in the 1700s. The uh, first American Great Awakening in the 1700s also began shifting the direction of the United States, or what was soon to be the United States. But anyway, we read that uh, in Acts 2, verse 43, and also in verse, verse uh, 46 and 47, We read a description of what was happening to these people. We read that 
Luke tells us that a deep sense of awe came over them all. They worshipped together at the temple, met in homes, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people around them. And each day the Lord added to their group uh, those who were being saved. So we see here that this awakening took place, and one of the ways that they managed uh, these numbers of people was not only to meet in a larger group, but to begin breaking into smaller groups for the purpose of connecting closely and developing friendships and relationships and discussing the teaching of Jesus. There's another second important passage in the New Testament about groups is contained in a letter to the Hebrews. Uh, Let me share just a brief bit about the context. The New Testament letter uh, called the Letter to the Hebrews uh, was written to Jewish believers uh, not long after, um, you know, within the the next 30, 40 years, after what Scripture teaches, the resurrection tells us the resurrection of Christ, uh, there were Jewish believers scattered around the Mediterranean world, And they had become uh, Christ followers. Judaism was a protected faith in the Roman Empire. This new developing uh, movement, Christianity, was not. So as persecution started emerging and all this political pressure and then social pressure, there was a great temptation uh, for the Jewish believers who were under great stress uh, to renounce their Christian faith and to... Uh, return to their uh, Jewish uh, habits and, and confession. So the writer to the letter of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, says this. He's a Hebrew himself, Jewish person. He says, we must hold tightly to our confession without wavering. God is trustworthy to keep his promise. Here in this passage, it's clear. He said, we are under stress. Now, the modern equivalent is that you and I are under stress is an inevitable part of your life and mine. Stress from all kinds of different sources are coming at us on a routine basis. In this particular case, they were under stress to renounce their faith. But he said, we must hold tightly to our confession Without wavering, God has promised us some things about himself and what he's done for us, and he is trustworthy to see us through as we persist in holding on to him and our belief and faith. And then he says we must not neglect to meet together, thinking carefully about ways to encourage one another, inspiring each other to loving acts of kindness. So right there, central to the teaching of Hebrews, is when God's people are under any kind of stress, it's absolutely essential for them to gather together, connect really closely and really personally, so they can support each other in their faith and and help and counsel and love each other and do life together. And often and normally that is best achieved in small groups. In a big group like this, of course, we can have friendships and connections, but it's very difficult to relate on any more personal level, except very briefly in a meeting like this. So small groups are one way that God can use and does 
to achieve what he wants to achieve in our lives. Now, several times in our meeting, I've mentioned an organization called Natural Church Development. It's a European organization that over 20 years surveyed several thousand Christian congregations on six continents. The goal was to identify the qualities or the characteristics of really growing, healthy, dynamic Christian congregations wherever they culture that they were at. And um, so they, over time, identified eight key qualities that are characteristic of any really healthy group and that often are absent in those who aren't so healthy and, and uh, aren't so uh, useful to the people uh, in them. Uh, 13 years ago, I was a part of the BICF, a part of the leadership team. That's the Beijing International Christian Fellowship. They asked me to write a constitution uh, for the church. And so we established the core values of the BICF around these eight qualities of healthy churches. And the team there over the last 10 years has been very, very skillful and effective in implementing those eight qualities. And the church has doubled in size. There's over 2,000 people uh, that regularly meet in the 21st century, the BICF, every Sunday morning. And a part of that, apart from just God's blessing, but humanly speaking, they have understood these quality characteristics and they've made a deliberate attempt to uh, make sure that it's happening. And, of course, we do that in our congregation. Uh, that material has been very, very helpful, a key resource to me in my attempt to uh, lead Capital Community over the last uh, nine years. Um, but one of the eight qualities of growing healthy churches is healthy, enjoyable, effective small groups. These, in healthy churches, small groups are not a supplement. Uh, they are not a nice but dispensable addition to a congregation. They are core to the quality of the relationships, uh, to the spiritual maturing uh, of the people, of ourselves, and to the strength of a congregation. Now, some of you, I know, have been in small groups for years. A number of you have led Groups, you're, you're very knowledgeable and experienced in this area. Uh, and some of you uh, probably have never been in one. And it's a little weird to you to think about joining a small group. What are we going to do uh, in that uh, group? I'll never forget, we lived in Hong Kong for three years. Uh, back in the early 90s, our family did. And I, I was a part of a, one of the fellowships there, Iris and I and our family. And we began leading a, uh, <clears throat> a helping, co-leading a group of uh, couples, most of whom were pilots for Cathay Pacific Airlines that lived out uh, north of the city. And it was really a fun group. Most of these guys, the guys were, you know, friends before the group. They were colleagues. Uh, they, most of them from Canada, because Cathay had hired a lot of people, a lot of Canadian uh, people, that, uh, pilots. And, uh, but there was one of their friends that they kept trying to recruit to the group, and he just he wouldn't come. Uh, I, hadn't, I didn't even know him. 
But he started hearing about, you know, the fun that was happening in the small group. And for some reason, even though he'd never met me, didn't know me, he wanted to meet with me. And I, I'd go figure. Uh, but he did. So we met in, uh, on the island in Hong Kong uh, one afternoon, had a meal. And uh, I said, you know, I mean, you're friends with all the y'all. A lot of your buddies are in this small group. Uh, why is it that you, you know, you know, don't don't join the group? He said, oh, my wife and I. We, we've talked about it, thought about it. I, don't just, I just don't think we're ready for a prayer group at this point. In his mind, uh, it was some kind of weird, quirky, and, and I understand, oh, weird, quirky thing going on with some people and who, you know, who in the world knows what's happening. And he really didn't understand the fun, the social connection, the, the chemistry in a, in a good small group how helpful it is in so many ways. Uh, and so what we'd like to do uh, briefly in the rest of our time here is ask and answer uh, six questions very quickly about small groups. The who, what, why, where, when, and how of small groups. And I'm going to ask my wonderful, I've been Warned to not uh, introduce her with too much flowing language. This is my wonderful, loving wife, supportive wife this morning, Iris. She had, uh, Iris has, uh, you know, led groups for uh, women's groups and we've led couples groups for a long time. She has a lot of experience in in the area, and so I thought she could uh, be really helpful, particularly to the ladies in our audience. Um, so we're just going to simply move through these uh, these questions. First, who needs a small group? Well, uh, it's biblical; it's a need, uh, and essentially, we all do. Uh, because they're, we're, as we say, we're pack animals. Uh, we function best in healthy, loving, supportive, genuine connection with each other. Uh, and that uh, is basically uh, the case. It is the case, I think, I believe, for all of us. I think sometimes there's a tendency when you, you live in a community where people come and go and move and, and maybe you're going to move soon. And so the tendency is to not not get too involved, not, not get too close to people because it's really painful, you know, when they leave. Um, but I want to encourage you not to do that. Um, uh, there's 80 passages in the New Testament that have the phrase one another, and they say uh, pray for one another, encourage one another, be patient with one another, forgive one another, all those things. There's not one single verse that says protect yourselves from one another. Or keep a distance from one another. Those, those verses are, are just not there. And so I want to encourage you to be a person that really jumps in. Learn how to jump in there quickly. Get to know people quickly. People, there's, there are people in this room, so many, that are just a treasure to get to know and can encourage you in some really powerful ways. What happens in a, a good small group? Well, those of you who have experience, if it's been a good group, a healthy group, a fun group, you know. But if you haven't, uh, normally uh, there's, or in many groups, there's a meal together, 
laughs, uh, conversation. It's a social connection. It's like a, a, a sometimes it's a couples group. Sometimes they're like a dinner party with a purpose. A bunch of people that enjoy each other, that are connecting. They get together maybe a couple of times a month. But it's an organized thing, and they have focus and direction. There's some sort of focus study. And then, of course, normally somebody prays, sometimes two or three. Um, Iris was going to share about the, what, what happens on a little bit deeper level, or what can happen on a little bit deeper level uh, in a group. I think, in, you know, in John, um, it says Jesus was described as being full of grace and truth. And when, when Jesus lives in us and we get together, he says two or, where two or three people are gathered in my name, I'm there. I think if it's a, a really healthy small group, you're going to experience both truth and grace. You're going to learn information that's going to really help you. And you're going to be, receive emotional encouragement and support and inspiration. I wanted to tell you about a group that I witnessed about 12 years ago. Um, that was really a powerful example to me. I, we went back to Texas. We were living there for six months, about 12 years ago. Um, there was a small group of women that had been meeting for five years, and they knew me. Some of them knew me, so they invited me to be a part of it. Um, so I got to participate. Of course, they were very close, and they had been in this group for five years. So this is not a typical thing that's going to happen, you know, in the first year of a group. But um, I was really moved by how how open they were and how honest and how they really encouraged and spoke so freely to one another. Um, One of the ladies one night, um, uh, and they even said this was unusual for them, but this was a unique time. But one of the ladies shared that she said, you know, guys, I'm really struggling. I want to share something. I'm, I'm really attracted to this guy at work that I'm working with. And uh, it's really causing me a lot of struggle. And I, I really want you to pray for me. And I had never heard anybody say anything like that out loud in a group. And I was actually quite, you know, I felt a little awkward and I was like, oh, look at the time. Um, but um, but those ladies, they just they looked at her and they said, oh, I, I'm so sorry. You know, that must be so hard for you. It must be causing such stress. And uh, they just gave her incredible amount of love and grace there was no condemnation um, there was no uh, attacking her or um, but then once they loved her and um, they gave her grace then they started trying to figure out how to protect her and uh, she said you know as a matter of fact this weekend I have to go on a trip um, for my business and uh, this guy's going on the trip too so I really want you to pray for me and, of course, they, you know, came to attention. Oh, no, like this, you can't, you can't go on this trip. And, in fact, later that week, one lady, um, she called. I was with her, and she called this friend, and she said, what's happening with that business trip? And she said, well, I'm going to go. I really want you to pray for me. And she said, you know what? I have found child care for my children, and, um, you know, this will be a really good vacation for me. So I'm going with you on the business trip. <laughs> and she said, well, I didn't invite you to go. <laughs> and she said, well, I'm, I'm inviting myself. I am not going to stand by. I'm seeing a train wreck about to happen, and I'm not going to sit by and watch this happen. I will be going with you on your business trip. So I'm going to take a book, and, you know, I'll just be in your room. And, uh, and uh, 
So she, she was a little mad, and this is none of your business, and she said, it is my business. And I have to tell you, you know, there was some tension, but those women locked arms and, like, we are not letting you go down. And uh, over, I watched them love her and help her and ask her questions like, why do you think you would be struggling in this way? And I know this woman who is struggling, and she, she's still married, and they have a lovely family that's still together today. And I thought, wow, you know, I want to have friends like that. And I'm not sure that I do have friends like that. But I want to learn how. I want to learn what do you do to create friendships like that. And um, so I've been studying that for the last uh, 12 years. Why join a group? Ephesians 4, verse uh, 2 and 3 um, says this. says, with humility gentleness and patience bear with one another in love make every effort to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace now what paul is saying here is that um, it uses he uses the word preserve and there's a lot of meaning that's wrapped up in this particular expression what he means that is because of his teaching elsewhere, is that when you and I understand the identity of Jesus Christ, we believe we become eternally united to him spiritually. We are fully and completely embraced by him to himself and into his family, and we are given some remarkable spiritual blessings And we share those with every other person in the world uh, who has experienced that. And the result of that is there is innately and factually a unity between all genuine believers and Christ followers in the world. The course of scripture calls it the body of Christ. So there is a unity our challenge and is to cultivate it and then experience it in real life on a routine basis. We don't have to establish it. We need to cultivate and then preserve it. And all kinds of positive results take place when we understand how to do that and we do it effectively. So you were going to share. Um. I, you know, this is under the category of why, and it's so moving to me that the last prayer before Jesus died, um, he prayed for us, and he said, I pray that they would be one. That, you know, and it's really important that the last thing he's going to ask the Father before he's uh, crucified is is for our unity and our um, getting to know one another. And it says in um, John 13, it says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, in fact, when we get together and we love each other well, it's a witness to the community. Um, about six years ago, I was in a small group here at Capitol. In fact, there were, there were seven of us in the group, and we were from six different countries. So it's one of the most international groups I've been a part of. Um, there was a lady there who was not a believer, and she said the reason she came is because we were the nicest people she knew and uh, that we cared about each other well, and she felt cared about. So she, she thought Christianity was kind of silly, but she, she was willing to come just to be with us. 
there was a British lady in that group who was so shy, painfully shy. She, she wouldn't say a peep in the group, but that woman prayed. I'm telling you, that woman prayed and prayed and prayed, and she really prayed for this woman who was not a Christian. Uh, so one week in the group, one, there was a lady from Japan, and uh, she had asked us to pray for her friend who had cancer. And we, we prayed, and the next week she came and she said, You guys, my neighbor went back to the doctor for more tests, and they couldn't find the cancer. I mean, God answered our prayer. It's, been, it's a miracle. The lady who wasn't a Christian said, oh, You guys, I mean, I don't want to hurt your feelings, okay? But you Christians, you're always thinking that everything's a miracle and, you know, everything's an answer to prayer. But, you know, obviously she got a wrong diagnosis. She goes back to more tests, and she wasn't, she really never had cancer, you know. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but, you know, can't buy it. So she sits there for a minute, and then she said, wait, I have an idea. We're going to do an experiment, because I know something that cannot be answered. She said, I have a brother who has a medical condition, and he's gone to every doctor, Western and Chinese, and he has never been able to find any help. So we're going to do an experiment. We're going to pray that. And I'm going to tell you something. If he is healed, I will get on my knees and I will believe God and become a Christian. And let, me, I, let me go ahead and say, he, he and his wife couldn't have conceive. So yeah, they couldn't have a baby. So, um, so I said, well, you know, wait a minute. You know, we don't do experiments. Um, and we don't, you know, God... God exists, you know, whether he answers this prayer or not. I mean, it's not like a genie lamp. You know, we don't rub the lamp and, you know, make a wish and he does what we say. We, we go to him and we do what he says. You know, he's the one that gives the orders. But, but he does invite us to ask things and, and we will pray. But what I, what I want to pray most of all is that you would, you would come to know him. So I prayed, I, and I was so nervous, you know, it's like you just hate to be, you know, put in those situations. But I just said, Lord, I pray for this woman that you would open her eyes, that she would be able to see you and know you and know that you're real. Um, I prayed that for about 10 minutes. And P.S., by the way, could you help her, her brother? Because uh, I didn't want it to be too much about her brother. Um, so, you know, a few weeks go by. And she comes to the group. Lo and behold, you guys are not going to believe this. My brother's wife is pregnant. And she said, this is really shaking me up. I, I, I don't know what to do. And the British lady who's been so shy, she's been praying so fervently, but she hasn't made a peep in that whole group, you know, for six weeks. All of a sudden she said, you know what you have to do. You said, you know. I was like, wow, the quiet one speaks. <laughs> but uh, that lady, it was so funny. She said, oh, all right, fine. You win. I mean, she looks up at the sky. You win. Whatever. Fine. And she said, I will be a Christian. Darn it. You know. <laughs> and she was the most reluctant Christian I've ever. I didn't even know if the, Christ, the prayer would you know, be sincere. But she, but she prayed. And do you know, over the next few weeks, it was amazing the change in her life. I mean, she started saying things like, she always thought we were silly, and she would come to the group and she'd say, it's like I hear music for the first time. It's like the world is in color. I've never seen color before. Food tastes better. Like, 
I was like, wow, you said we were silly. But <laughs> I think so, I'm done. <laughs> so I think the, the, the point of the story is, you know, the, the, this woman, because she perceived that there was a really unusual unity among this group of women. You know, that's why she was attracted. Uh, she didn't go there for, you know, other reasons. She just liked the, the chemistry between this group of women, thought they might be enjoyable and interesting to be around, did. And then, you know, in the last several years since then, it was genuine. This was not a game or a joke or some short, you know, burst of some kind of weird religious experience. The woman has experienced life change. And life changed in her family and marriage. And uh, it's the power of believing Christ followers who, have, who are demonstrating to the community around them. It's just one of the many benefits of, of, of this uh, dynamic as it's developed. Where can a group meet? Anywhere. Uh, this congregation began as a small group in a living room of River Garden a few years ago. It moved then to a basement room in the, in the uh, Lemon Lake. Uh, we didn't know if it was going to grow, but it, you know, it turns out it, it did. Um, so you never know what can evolve from a small group. Um, when is a good time? Uh, any time that works for you and at least one other person. Uh, uh, and anywhere. That may be at a coffee shop with a buddy before you go into work once a week. Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter. The location uh, doesn't uh, matter. Uh, and the time doesn't matter. It's the function and the connection and the commitment to build this kind of habit and routine into your life on a, a routine basis. And then finally, uh, how can I personally uh, check one out? And uh, the last two weeks, we've had what we call a ministry fair. And we've had a bunch of tables set out out in the foyer for group uh, signups. So hopefully you were able to uh, sign up for one of those groups if you weren't. But uh, if you weren't here or you didn't sign up, um, then uh, you can check out our website. Our website, capitalcommunitychurch.net, lists a lot of the groups. uh, And we're going to put a brief plug in for just uh, three of them, or at least three of them real briefly. Iris, you can share about I just I, I wanted to say one more thing is when when we most of the time you don't have major traumatic events like that happen in a small group. It's just that you get together, you eat together, you share with each other. And before you know it, a year later, you look back and you say, I, this has really changed me because we have the ability to speak life to one another. God gives us that when because he lives within us. I know that when they're in a room like that, there, there's probably been. Some of you who have been in a small group that you had a bad experience with in the past. Um, I just, you know, we all mess up. And, you know, I want you to encourage you to give it a, another chance and to, to, to try it again. Uh, I, sometimes I'm the one who messes up and I say the wrong thing. And one time I, I said, God, you know, why, do, why, do, why don't you help me so I don't mess up? I mean, wouldn't it help your reputation if, if, I, was, if I didn't mess up so much? And, and uh, God said, no, it would help your reputation if you didn't mess up so much. But my reputation is just fine when people give and receive grace. That is what represents uh, me. Uh, I wanted to tell you about, uh, there's, we have a lot of women's groups. And um, 
you can find out about them in the list in the foyer. One is Tuesday night, Rhonda's group. They have a lot of fun. Yeah, those ladies have a lot of fun, I hear, and um, that's just one I wanted to highlight. But there, there's a group for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rhonda Ausk, her, I think her group is on the website. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so it's on a, the one of the larger on the women's groups that meets on the evening, I think Tuesday evening. Uh, Keith Beeman is going to come up, and he's going to talk briefly about uh, Taco Tuesday, which is the best tacos probably in Beijing uh, at his house. Uh, most of the time. <laughs> well, I have to say, Iris, you're a tough act to follow. I'm like, oh, my gosh, if I have to do all those questions and do them as well, I'm going to have a tough time. Um, just a couple of opening words before I do that, Tom. The, I've been somebody who I'd tried men's groups several times before we came to China. And honestly, it, 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 it just they were awkward. I go, I don't know anybody. A bunch of the guys kind of know each other already. I don't know them. And, you know, it, I thought it was maybe going to be the same thing here. So... Wendy challenged me. She said, hey, just, you know, there's a men's group here. It's got tacos. Sounds like it might be okay. The guy hosting was another Microsoft guy, so I had that connection. And so a year ago, I thought, eh, you know, I'll go a couple of times, check the list. Wendy will say, hey, you gave it a shot, and, you know, and then I'll just probably stop going. So fast forward a year later, I'm actually hosting it now. So obviously uh, it worked out a lot better than I thought it was going to. But uh, just to demystify it a bit for guys who are, maybe gone through the same thing I went through or you've never tried one before and you're thinking, you know, a bunch of guys, I don't know, it might be weird. So here's what we do. It's very straightforward, very simple, very low risk. Uh, you show up at my house. Uh, I host it when I'm in town, which is most of the time. I live in uh, Yosemite, which is right by ISB or International School of Beijing. I show up between 6.45 and 7 p.m. on, not surprisingly, a Tuesday night. Uh, we have tacos made by an amazing chef. He actually makes from scratch the guacamole, the salsa, the tortillas, and the tortilla chips. Uh, he makes very, very good Mexican food. I've been to Mexico City, and this food is phenomenal, I can tell you. Uh, but it's very low-key. We get food. We kind of hang out for a bit. We watch a video that's usually 30 to 40 minutes. The current video series we're doing is... Uh, about having a great adventure. How do you have an adventure both in your work uh, and an adventure in terms of your relationship with God and then an adventure really just as guys we need adventure. We then break up into small groups. We've had about 20 guys the last few weeks. We break up into smaller groups so we can just kind of talk and share and pray for each other. And uh, I will tell you, it's, uh, it's easy. There's no homework. You just show up and you have great food and uh, you'll make friends. And and for me, uh, the strongest connections I've made in Beijing have been through Taco Tuesday and have been through Capital Community. Thanks. Thanks, Keith. And Joanne Chen is going to uh, share briefly about the Mandarin-speaking women's groups. There's a, quite a large group of Mandarin-speaking women that meet every week. Okay. Um, I'm going to share that um, in Mandarin. <laughs> about the Mandarin group in Mandarin, because uh, if you can only understand less than I'm going to say next, probably you're not ready for that group. <laughs> okay. Um, Chung,华语,妇女团体,在顺义和江江,差不多有四个主,如果你, uh, 对这个华语团体感兴趣，用中文啊来一起呃查圣经感兴趣的话，啊，我们每个星期三的啊十点到十二点，我们会一起啊。
呃一起聚集，嗯，然后如果你有认识一些朋友，他们对中文读圣经感兴趣的话，可以来找我，我可以把他们介绍到啊他们合适的团体里面。OK， so how many of you have understood what I said? 一点点。OK， good enough. All right, yeah.、Hmm? Okay, thank you, Joanne.、Um, of course, developing effective, healthy small group is something we learn、uh, through trial, error, experience, and so on. If you have not led a group、uh, before, but you'd like to begin learning a little bit about the process,、uh, then Iris and I are going to host. A group、uh, of people who might be interested in leading groups. We always need to start and form new groups in Capital Community. So you can connect with me and Iris afterwards, and we can tell you when we're going to connect、uh, with you personally at a meal at our house、uh, for a couple of weeks here、uh, pretty soon. We have run long this morning, and I'm told that the children turn to pumpkins after about 90 minutes down there. So I think we'll just I'll pray and we'll conclude our meeting this morning.